Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. To the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm one of your normal co-hosts, Nick Bat. Bruce exclusive. Bruce Nolan, unfortunately, is under the weather and not able to join us this week. But we have got a Bills fan and a Bills Twitter persona who I think is just as interesting and enlightening and somebody who I don't think we hear from as much on the podcast type platform. And that is the operator of Yards Per Pass, Mr. John Ramsey. John, how are you doing this evening? Good, Nick. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Both the kids are down. We're recording this uh, in the evening on on Monday, so we finally get a little bit of time to ourselves, and we retreat away from our spouses and instead decide to talk football. So I'm sure that pleases everybody in our household, right? Definitely. (laughs) Okay. Well, John, uh, for people who maybe do follow you, like myself, and haven't had the opportunity to interact with you or hear a little bit about you know your background or how you wound up being one of the primary guys who will release the gifts and a lot of the data and the graphs and all the informative stuff that you share with Bills fans on Twitter. Give us a little bit of a quick rundown on you know your history being a Bills fan and playing the role that you do, uh, which I think is actually an important and an interesting one for Bills fans on Twitter. So family, my dad's from Buffalo, from Kenmore. Kenmore West is best, East is least. Booyah! Uh, so, you know, it's in my blood. Been going to games. Uh, we had season tickets for, you know, a long, long time. I've been going to games since, you know, here and there, probably five or six years old. I remember, you know, I was at the 90 AFC Championship game. I remember that. Only playoff game I missed is the big comeback. We're on a family vacation, so it's a good one to miss, right? You know, only the most famous yeah, right. in history. Bills can win it here. Wright puts it down. The kick is on the way, and it is good. And the Bills have won it. The Bills have won it. And we've just had season tickets ever since. Uh, my college job was working working for the team part time in Rochester when they had an office there. So that. Was, that helps uh, solidify things for me, you know, just being a fan. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to root for the, the hometown team. It's, it's, it's in your blood. Uh, you know, hopefully they're on the upswing now, but it's been a, it's been a tough, uh, tough 17, 18 years, you know, before McDermott came. Absolutely. So what did you do for the team whenever you worked for him in Rochester? So it was, it was strictly a part-time job. They just needed someone for the afternoons. 
uh, they they sold merchandise and 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 tickets there, and you know I just helped out. It was a great 15, 15 maybe twenty hour a week job uh, during college. It was it was great. You know, no complaints. Ralph used to send a chocolate football to all the employees, so they even included us lowly part time people. So it was it was good. Cool. So I want to talk a little bit about what you what you do on Twitter first. I this is something that has stumped me for a long time and i never really put a whole lot of effort into it but i was i've always been a little curious the avatar that you have on twitter what is that is that a famous old school football photo or what is that what is that from specifically oh good good question nick so the whole the whole twitter thing it all started because i i wanted to to do a website you know i just you know, I wanted to learn how to do a website. So way, way back in the day, I started yardsperpass.com just because I wanted to fool around, you know, learning how to do a website. And so I needed a, you know, a banner for for the website. And so I was looking at, you know, football photos and stuff. So I found, you know, it looks like a pretty cool photo. I, I think I believe it is Sammy Baugh. Oh, sling, slinging Sammy Baugh. Nice. Yeah, I believe so. And so I just clipped it from my website and put it on my my Twitter profile. Nice. The first thing I remember about Sammy Baugh, and I don't know if you share this memory at all, but the old NFL films that they would do with him, and at, at the time they were making these original, these you know first generation NFL films, Sammy Baugh was already an old guy out on his farm wherever he was, and that man just like had the foulest mouth. Like he would just swear like a sailor on these old NFL films so much so that like every multiple words in every single sentence were bleeped out. When you're on the field, you've got to feel like you're the best son of a bitch out there. But I, I, that's the thing that like sticks with me because I saw it when I was just a kid watching the old NFL films with Sammy Baugh whenever he was an old man talking about his time in the playing days. I'm a country boy and I like the country. I want to walk out in the yard and take a leak. I want to walk out in the yard and take a leak. I just figured you had to be real grizzled back to play, right? You know, ads, the leather helmets could pick you up and you know just slam you on your head, and you know no one cared. So I could see yeah. that. Yeah. So yards per pass. When did you originally attempt to do that website? How far back are we talking? Well, shit. Uh, I'm looking July 2012 is when I started the Twitter account. So, yeah, you know, probably a few months before that. What happened that the website turned into just what you were doing on the Twitter profile? Because it sounds like the website isn't, you know, the way you speak about it is if it's not currently active. Is that right? No, not not currently active at all. It was just a, kind of a learning experience, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and then I kind of figured, okay, I, I did it in uh, WordPress. I wanted to learn WordPress. So I kind of set something basic up. One of the big things I posted was about, I, I call it the curious case of third and one and third and two. If, if, you look in the, if you look at third and one, teams typically run it, and this is, you know, this might not be up to date for the past couple of years. Teams typically run it about 75% of the time, maybe leaving a little more on third and one. Makes sense, right? Yeah. But if you go to third and two, it completely flips. And teams throw it about 75% of the time. So the difference of one yard, it's a vast difference in run pass. And the interesting thing that I found is that the success rate 
doesn't really change on running versus one one yard to two yard. It, it decreases slightly, but teams throw it far, far, far more than they than they should on on third and two versus third and one. So that I needed a place for that. That was one of my real early you know questions that I answered with research and and stuff like that. So I posted that there, and then I had the Twitter account input tweets, and I did AdWords just to fool around with that. So that that that's the website in a, in a nutshell. The first time that I started following you was actually after Joe Bascalia and Matt Fairburn. They mentioned your account on one of their podcasts, and this is years ago. I mean, we're talking at least four or five years ago, I think. Maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you remember better than I do. But uh, you know, they said, oh, if you're not following yards per pass, you got to go over there. And I remember going over to your account, and I think you had a pinned tweet or something. It was oh hi guys oh hi because I'm assuming you you received uh, a, a bit of uh, some attention after they plugged you is that correct do I have that do I remember that correctly you know I have absolutely no idea uh, <laughs> nice well it was more meaningful for me than you that's yeah, totally fine <laughs> it, it, it was probably it was probably just sarcastic pit and tweet of of mine to be honest I mean you you followed me I, I'm, I'm I, I enjoy the occasional shit posts now and then in, in, in trolling the internet. So yeah, those props just those. But Joe, okay. they're they're good guys. I just know I've never met either of them. I just know that Joe is tall and, and dunked it at well where they filmed Hoosiers. That's about the knowledge I have of, of those two guys. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Okay, so. There's a couple of quick hits I wanted to pick your brain on, uh, because obviously you are a guy who does the research, who tries to find intelligent answers to the questions that a lot of us ask as Bills fans. And, you know, I'd be interested in getting your opinion on a couple of things. One of the hottest topics for Bills fans right now, and I think that, you know, we got a little bit of smoke on this with Jordan Phillips and and my co-host Bruce Nolan, who wrote an opinion piece and, and kind of analyzed what he thought Jordan was going to want to get paid and what Jordan probably could get paid on the free agent market, and said that that's probably not a fit for the Bills being you know good stewards of their of their cap dollars. Jordan Phillips commented directly on that on that story when Buffalo Rumbling shared it on Twitter. And I saw that you you interacted with that a little bit yourself as well. And I, I'm curious that, you know, turned this into a pretty big talking point about whether or not the Bills should or should not uh, sign Jordan Phillips. And I, I don't even know that it's necessarily all a question of want, whether or not we want to re-sign him or would whether or not fans would like him to be on the team next year. It's about whether or not the Bills should you know, contribute what he may or may not command on the open market. Do you have a particular opinion on whether or not you think the Bills should re-sign or try to re-sign Jordan Phillips? Well, first of all, that was great for you guys getting him to to comment back. I know it was for me. I thought it was hilarious. He even gave you a little trash emoji. I, was, yeah, I'm the trash man. I come out. I throw trash all over the, all over the ring, and then I start eating garbage. Which cracked crack me up a little bit. As, as far as re-signing him, they, they have they have depth there right now. You know, they they have Star. You have Oliver. You have Phillips coming back. I mean, not Phillips. You have uh, Harrison Phillips. Yeah, I was right. Horrible Harry. Yeah, 
he's coming back. So that's, so that's three deep already. And the question is, you know, they have a lot of cap room. Do they throw it at a guy that had nine and a half sacks? I read something. It was some advanced stat. I cannot remember the exact tweet, but basically it looked at guys who had their sacks, who had the most help on their sacks. I think it was like a next-gen stats thing. And I think they said Phillips had gotten help on three or three and a half of his sacks, which was near the top of the league. So that could say, you know, maybe his sack total is, is a bit inflated, uh, you know, but he did have a decent amount of tackles for a loss, too. I I would not want a long-term deal for Jordan Phillips. But if he's open to it and if the Bills are open to it and they do something like, you know, uh, like the, the 76ers did with J.J. Redick, where it's a one-year deal for a lot of money. You know, maybe it's something you can go through that way. That way you are not killing your cap from when you have to give the extension to Trey White, to give it to Milano, these types of things. And it keeps everyone intact. And what was a very good defensive line? I mean, they they were good this year. And the cap dollars, you know, if they're not going to roll them over, if they've got stuff to spend, I don't think a short-term deal for Phillips is the worst idea in the world, but I wouldn't want to see something like five years, you know, 45 million or something like that. That just, with the amount of amount of draft capital they have in the, in the position already, that just doesn't seem like, like, uh, you know, Bruce wrote on his piece that I read, it doesn't seem that it is the best allocation of capital, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that, people's skepticism or Bruce's skepticism, I, I, I shared this with him as well, is that, okay, maybe there is a way that the bills could package an offer that would it would reward him for his play and it would reward him for doing what he did and how he contributed to the bills and to the defense. There's just a little bit of skepticism or pessimism maybe that he would take that whenever he could probably get that longer deal, similar com- dollar commitment, but with a longer guarantee over a longer number of years on the open market. Um, you know, he specifically, whenever he used that trash can emoji, either that tweet or the next tweet, was that he considered himself a top three DT easy. Now, I, 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 we assume that, you know, that. He didn't expound upon that too much, but we assume that that means he's talking about the entire league, which is putting him in the the realm of Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. And that's those are hefty price tags, really hefty price tags. You know, so if we're in that ballpark, it's probably, you know, uh, no bueno. But if considering the deal that you would be comfortable with offering to Jordan Phillips, do you have any optimism or pessimism about whether or not that's something that you think he would actually accept? Or is it kind of like, well, this is what I would be comfortable with. I'm happy with making an offer and he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. We have no control over it. Yeah, I'll, I would never fault a guy for going and getting paid as much as he can. It is a brutal game. It is a physical game, especially for those big guys. Their, their careers you know, their career could end on the next play. I will never fault a football player for going out and trying to get as much money po- as possible as soon as possible. Do I think Phillips is going to try and do that? I hope so. That's the logical thing to do. And the Bills, I think, should value him. 
offer him a deal. It will probably be less than he can get on the open market, and I think he will leave. I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, we don't know. We don't know how, you know, the torn ACL is going to come back from from Phillips. You know, he was having a great start. Uh, you know, maybe two years, fifteen million or something like that. That's their offer. You know, Phillips will probably turn that down. But you, you got you can't overspend on you know maybe your your fourth or third DT. That's you know, even though they rotate guys, that's still only like 50% of the snaps. It's it's not a lot, and it's a lot to pay someone for that. Yeah. Okay. So two other free agents I wanted to pick your brain on is let's let's stay on the defensive line. Uh, we got Shaq Lawson. You know, so this is not identical. It's actually, you know, quite different, I think, as far as the depth is concerned at defensive end, considering what we have available at defensive tackle. If we lose Shaq Lawson, the cupboard's a bit more bare there than it is if we lose Jordan Phillips compared to, you know, considering what we have coming back at the the defensive tackle position. So do you feel significantly differently about Shaq Lawson and how he turned it on and contributed to the defense this year compared to where you land on Jordan Phillips? Yep, definitely. Uh, people that follow me know my account is a Shaq Lawson fan account. I very much like Shaq Lawson. I think he is an excellent. I don't. I don't. Maybe excellent is not the right word. I think he's a very good defensive end. I do not think he's a flashy defensive end. I think he is. He is the type of defensive end you would see on the New England Patriots that is very strong against the run, and is very good at compressing the pocket. He's not a speed rusher. Uh, like, you know, even like Jerry Hughes opposite him, he, he, you don't really see him beating guys around the corner with speed. He's more physical, and I think he has a lot of value in the NFL. Uh, he seems to play option quarterbacks very well. I don't know if that's from his time in college, but I thought he was wonderful against uh, Lamar Jackson when they played Baltimore. He seems very, very good in space for for a defensive end. You know, I, I I think he really should be re-signed. I don't know how much he will get though. That is the problem. You, you know, is you know what is it? You know, maybe five years, fifty. You know, I don't know if that's too much, too little. It, it really, if someone wants him, they might break the bank on him. It's the sack numbers that's hopefully going to help the Bills re-sign him because he doesn't get a lot of sacks. But he is definitely one I think they need to re-sign, especially with Jerry getting a little bit older. And, you know, Trent Murphy, I don't think has played the way they thought he was going to when they signed him. No, I I think that's probably safe to say about Trent Murphy. And although he is a reasonable and rosterable NFL player, he is actually one of the probably least successful signings picks, you know, him and Kelvin Benjamin would probably be the guys who are at the top of the list that are experiments or attempts by Brandon Bean in his front office to address areas of need for the bills and it not really working out. So yeah, I mean, if you were to let Shaq walk, you're talking about having Mike Love coming off injured reserve Bam Johnson, Daryl Johnson, who's a seventh round pick who, you know, had a great preseason and and made the roster, but didn't contribute very much at all, really, uh, in regular season play. And you've got a 32 year old Jerry Hughes and Trent, 
Trey Murphy. <laughs> that is, um, you know, that's that leaves you wanting, right? So Shaq Lawson being re-signed would certainly would certainly address that. What about the opposite side of the ball on the offensive line? Quinton Spain is the big name, you know, offensive lineman that is a guy that people are talking about whether or not they should or shouldn't pay. And I think I'd be interested in your take on this too, because as, as familiar as you are with the advanced statistics and the analytics and things like that, Quentin Spain, I don't think has been at least by pro football focus, who's one of the you know primary voices in that room. He was not graded particularly flatteringly uh, after this season, despite playing every offensive snap and not releasing, uh, not giving up a sack, which are things that he has been vocal about pointing out about his performance. Where do you land on Quentin Spain? Uh, very quickly back back to Murphy. I just want to touch on something you said about you know being trying to trying to get guys. I, I like the strategy of trying to get a pass rusher at a cut rate price even though he hasn't produced they signed him to a contract that hasn't killed the team at all so while he's i guess you could say not what they hoped for the the contract hasn't killed the team so i'm a much bigger proponent you know if you want to talk about draft stuff i can say this too of spreading out your your lottery tickets on trying to trying to bring guys in don't kill yourself cap-wise, spending all your money on a big name that is coming from the outside because if a guy, good guys don't get away from their teams. There's a reason why teams let guys get to become free agents. So concentrate on your own, which I think they're going to do, but I just want to touch on that, Murphy, because you brought it up. Spain, you know, he was he was a cheap deal at the end of last, you know, free agency last season. So I I think they they really value more I mean Morris obviously because of the contract uh, they really like Dawkins right tackle is is still up up in the air you know Ford you know will he stay there I think he probably will but might he might not and then you got the two guard positions Feliciano in in, in Spain if you keep four of the five you know that's that's not bad you know for continuity's sake. If you keep all five, obviously, that's that's better. You know, that's math for you. I'm afraid we need to use math. But I, I, I don't think they're going to break the bank on them. And yeah. I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot like, you know, uh, Phillips. I think if, if it's the right price, they, they're very happy to bring him back. But he just strikes me as another one of those guys that, hey, if you can go get paid, you know, thank you for your service. You played great for us this year. We were happy to have you, but here's what we can afford to pay you. Okay, let's take a step back to the pass rusher, and then I'll, I'll ask you a follow-up on Spain here in, in that situation. So you you made the comment that, you know, guys who are productive defensive ends, who are high-quality defensive ends, they typically don't get away from their teams. And there's... I don't know. I, I think three guys that people are thinking about the most who are scheduled to be available in the offseason who are going to be free agents. They're not coming from the draft. They're, they're current NFL players. That would be uh, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Matthew Judon from Baltimore, Yannick Ngakwe from Jacksonville, and Jadavion Clowney from Seattle. So 
does the fact that they are going to be hitting free agency in the first place, does that kind of give you pause? Because like you said, you know, a lot of times these good guys, they, they get locked up. They, teams don't let them get to the door. Now, every situation is different, but out of curiosity, does that uh, influence you at all that they're being you know, allowed to, to leave by the teams that currently possess them? It, it, it does. And I, I can tell you there was a, a study done. It's a different sport, but the, the principle remains. Uh, they did it at uh, Fangraphs.com, great, great uh, fantasy baseball, stat baseball site. And they looked at prospects that got traded versus prospects that were kept. And the prospects that got traded did worse in the future than the prospects that were kept. Now, why is that? It's because the teams trading them away see those guys every day. They, they know those players better than the teams that are, they're trading them to. So the same principle applies to free agency. You only have a certain amount of money that you can pay. Unless, you know, the exceptions, you know, are, are cap stuff. You know, if you're in cap jail, then, you know, a good guy's going to get away here and there. But if the cap is very high right now, teams have gotten better at managing it. So if, if a guy's getting away, there, there must be a reason why, you know, especially a, a pass rusher, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. You know, why is that guy getting away is, is definitely something that, you should do your due diligence on, in in my opinion, because it is such a valuable position. It's not like guard, you know, Spain. You know, guard's fine. You know, it's offensive lineman guard. Okay. But, you know, look at Bosa, you know, for, for the Niners. You know, look at the impact he has had his rookie year. If you can add that to your team, like you you move heaven and earth. And if you see a, a team Allowing a great edge guy, you know, or what looks like a great edge guy to leave, you really have to ask yourself, why on earth would a team do that? Especially Jackson. I mean, look at Jacksonville. They got Josh Allen, you know, the other Josh Allen on one side. They could be set for a long time with two young pass rushers. So, I mean, you got to, you know, just look look at things and, and try and figure out why exactly they're being let go. Does that Great. make sense? Absolutely, to me. Yeah, let me let me go back to the Spain question then. So, you know, like you said, make a make a contract offer to Spain that you think is reasonable, uh, not meant to be, you know, insulting by not giving him what he wants or whatnot, but you're just going to make him the offer that you think is appropriate for his value, and say that he doesn't take it and he he moves on and finds greener pastures, at least greener because there's more money. I thought my jokes were bad. Maybe not necessarily a better situation for him, but you know he's going to get paid, which is in some ways definitely a better situation for him. So. If that happens, are you an advocate for the shakeup on the offensive line that some people are an advocate for, which is moving Cody Ford inside? And then you do have, you know, four of your five returning, but the question mark isn't on the guard position where Quentin Spain left. It's actually on the right tackle position as to whether or not Ty Inseki, you know, his age is getting up there. He dealt with nagging injuries at the end of the year. Is that the position on the line that you would you know be interested in trying to find an answer to for next season or would you want to keep Cody Ford and and or Ty Inseki platooning on the right tackle and you would just want to look for a new answer at Quentin Spain's guard position 
I think the good thing is that it gives you flexibility. So you're not locked into either finding a guard or a tackle. You know, you can, if, you know, the, you go, you're out in free agency and you feel like there's better value at guard than at tackle, then you side the guard and keep forward at tackle. If you see, hey, shit, there's a right tackle out there that we love, we have him graded highly, he's not asking for a lot of money, then, yeah, you, you, you grab the tackle and you try moving Cody into, in, into guard. And you also got to consider, do the coaches think that he can play guard? I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big, big human being. Uh, a lot of people think that he could play guard, but he, he, he's, a ta- he's played tackle. So you got to take into account the position switch as, as well. Like I said, the good thing is that it's flexibility. You have more options. Options are valuable. So try and maximize your options, you know, you know, when you can. And just real quick, I looked at Jacksonville's cap. They have like no cap room. They're screwed. So that that might why might be why you know they're let our young pass rusher is going to hit the market. So that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah. So you're not you know there are people who have staked their flag. My co-host is one of them. There's a handful of people in in Bills you know uh, fandom Bills mafia who have a pretty strong opinion that it is best for pretty much all parties involved to move Cody Ford to guard. Like that is a strong preference. It sounds like in your case, you're more apt to see what comes your way. That is, you know, going to allow you to maximize value. And if that means keeping him at tackle, you're, you would be okay with that. And, or if that means moving him to guard, you would also be similarly okay with that. Do I, do I have that? Do I have that right? Yeah. The, the, you know, the free agents, the only one I'd, I'd pound the table for is, is Lawson. Uh, but regarding Ford, the biggest jump you see in young players is from year one to year two. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to to go with him at tackle uh, and seeing how much he improves from year one to year two, because that's where you see the big jumps. Uh, you know, it's not Oklahoma anymore. You know, different, totally different system coming into the NFL. Von Miller, you know, that's it different breed he wasn't he wasn't in the big 12 you you know what i mean so i i think that giving him a second year before making a decision is perfectly fine but if you want to move him to guard and you have a great right tackle coming in i mean that that's fine too i don't think it is something where like you said you know i I, i'm planting a flag i i really think having the the flexibility here is a is a good thing okay Great. We're going to come back to this year two conversation, this this biggest jump in player development from year one to year two. But I, I do have one other quick hit thing. I just want to I just want to hear your thoughts about about uh, how, what you do with this graph and everything. But there is a there's an EPA uh, offensive and defensive graph that you make some colorful edits on. That I, I don't even know what outlet it is that puts it together, or if it's something that you actually put together yourself. But you have been sharing uh, throughout at least the second half of the season. I saw a weekly EPA graph that was showing where every team in the league stand, and then you would be, you would add a little bit of flair by kind of helping us categorize where these teams land and uh, and renaming them. Could you tell us a little bit about what you were doing with that? Sure. So that that's done by uh, Ben Baldwin. On Twitter, one of the 
the big analytics guys on, on, on football Twitter, I guess you could say. And what it does, it looks like it looks at expected points added, you know, offensive defensively defensively for each team. And, you know, the farther you are to the right and up, I mean, it's good. The farther you are to the left and down, it's bad negative. And so I was I was looking at it one day and, you know, a lot of people like analytics. A lot of people think they're they're dumb. Well, I wanted to to broaden the reach of the graph and hopefully hit everybody. So I took Ben's graph and I just put snarky comments on it. I put my bubble teams together. And, you know, for instance, you know, one of my favorites was for Cincinnati. You know, their logo was a B. And so I just put U-R-R-O-W after it, you know, Burrow. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're getting Burrow. Sure. You know, for, for the Niners and the, the Patriots, I think one of them that I did was, you know, great defenses, beautiful quarterbacks or, you know, something <laughs> like that. It just, it, you know, it's just a, a, a shit post of mine. I was just bored at work one day. It got... It got a lot of a lot of positive feedback, so I just kept doing it. And then I, I think I stopped the last week or the last two weeks of the season. I just thought it had, had run its course. It was the holidays. I didn't have as much time to. Because actually, it, it takes a little time to to you know be clever and shit. You know, you can't. If it sucks, and if it sucks, and no one will read it. You know what I mean? So I gotta I gotta think of something. So, but yeah, it was it was fun. You know, it's just it's what Twitter and the internet are for. Just taking something cool like Ben's graph and just ma- making a little shit post out of it. I, I think that the, I, I don't know why this is the only one that I can remember. I know that there were other ones that were, that were more clever and that uh, definitely made me laugh, but there was one where you just, you circled, I think it was Jacksonville and Tampa and you were just called it Florida. Like everything else <laughs> had a descriptor of the football that the graph is suggesting these the kind of football that these teams play and you just circled Tampa and, and uh, Jacksonville and just said Florida no no football commentary no so, you know this is what the kind of football they're playing because of where they fall in the graph just uh, just just good old Florida well Nick, Nick you know I like to be accurate so <laughs> that's right uh, one, one other one that people that people really gave me shit about was I took the, the four quadrants and then I put uh, the Star Wars movies on them. So I put like the oh, best one right. in the top top right, the best, the worst one, the bottom left. Oh my God, people just kept arguing with me. And I'm like, I just wanted to be like, guys, is, this doesn't matter. This is a completely made up thing. And and frankly, I don't really care that much about Star Wars. I mean, I see them, but, you know, it's, it's no big deal. What did you say? But that, that one was a, a, a huge deal as well. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, let's let's take uh, our, a quick break, and then we will come back, and we're going to get into Josh Allen. So Josh Allen is, you made the comment about, you know, uh, players making a jump from year one to year two, and you did an interesting research project about that and quarterback play specifically, and I want to hear all about it. So stick with us, guys. We'll be right back in just a moment. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. 
elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm one of the two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Bruce Nolan is out sick, but we do have John Ramsey with us, who is on Twitter at Yards Per Pass. Uh, hopefully, most of you probably already follow him and are familiar with him. But John has been nice enough to pinch hit for us today as uh, Bruce was out. And we will go ahead and pick back up with our uh, our conversation. So, John. I said before the break, I wanted to get into the Josh Allen conversation. Before we get into your research project and all of that, what was your initial reaction whenever the Bills got Josh Allen in the draft uh, two years ago? And, you know, what was your, I don't know, what was your initial expectation as far as what he might be or what he could do? So I, I will say that I'm sure this this next segment will be, you know, completely non-issue filled and no one will care and it will uh <laughs> it'll go over very smoothly with all the listeners so i'm excited for that yeah uh, right. as far as alan is concerned i was actually i would say one of the few people you know as far as you know bill's twitter is concerned that was was okay with him i i guess i guess you could say you know I wanted Rosen, I think, like most people did, like the way the draft felt. Like I thought Rosen would be the the better pick, but I, I didn't think Allen would be a dumpster fire like I think most people did. And, you know, certainly, you know, the analytics community uh, predicted for him. Uh, and, and the reason for that, just going way, way back, is because he did some stuff at Wyoming that most human beings just cannot do. And I think in the NFL, you you need eliteness t- to win. You need guys that can do stuff that other people just can't do. And Josh can do that. He, he also did a lot of stuff that nobody should do. <laughs> but I mean, but there, there is there is one play, and it's like a play action pass, and he just throws like a freaking rope right down the middle. Hits his guy and so it was like thirty five yards. It was it was amazing, and it's just like guys. Most guys can't do that, and so if you can see that more, 
then you really have something. And so that's why I was like, okay, like, okay, like I'm not the, the you know, the team's not going to be shit for three years because they drafted them. Okay. So you have said first, I, I, this connects to your research project. I think you have said that your favorite and you use the ter- the term quick and dirty stat for quarterback evaluation is adjusted net yards per attempt. Do I, is that accurate? Do I have that characterized right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So can you give us a breakdown of what adjusted net yards per attempt is like, what, what is it about it that is adjusted compared to, you know, the same stat without that word added to it? Sure. Definitely. It's, it's very easy. It is yards per attempt. You know, you know, yards per pass, you could say, you know, there's a plug for you. There you but, go. <laughs> hey, hey, clever. Uh, but what it does is that you it takes away the sack yards. So if you get sacked, so let's say you throw for 300 yards and you get sacked once for 10 yards. Adjusting that yards attempt would take away that 10 yards. And so you'd be left with 290 yards. Makes sense, right? Sure. But what it also does, it gives you a little bonus for passing touchdowns and it gives you a slight it gives you a slight negative for interceptions also also makes sense interceptions are about two times as more two times more negative than passing touchdowns are as far as you know the, the bonuses are concerned and then it divides that by passes attempt plus the times you got sacked so i like it because it's yards per attempt which is makes sense decent stat but it also takes into account sacks and also takes into account that touchdowns are good things and interceptions are, are, are bad things. So that's the, the simple reason why I like it. Okay. Who is the uh, purveyor? I mean, there's a handful of, of places that put together advanced statistics. Where does this one hail from? Uh, pro football reference. Uh, uh, the holy grail of, of, of football stats. Okay. All right. Very good. So, you did a research project uh, with your own, you know, energy and curiosity and spare time, right, to investigate something specific about adjusted net yards per attempt. Am I, do I have that right? Correct. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you did. Okay. So, so what I was looking for was I wanted to look for quarterbacks that had multiple quote-unquote elite seasons. If you get seven or above in adjusted net yards per attempt, you've had a really good season. That's, that's very, very good. Eight is, eight is fantastic. And, you know, nine is like, like Mahomes crushing the league, you know, last year territory. Just, just for reference. So nine okay. is unbelievably amazing. Eight is still very good. Seven is like, you can win the Super Bowl with a guy that gets seven. So I, I looked at it. I took, I went back and took, you know, I went all the way back to, you know, guys like, like Peyton. I think Peyton was the oldest guy on there. You know, I got Romo on there. You know, Kerry Collins is on my list. You know, I, I went, I went way back. Fitzpatrick, Tannehill, RG3, all those guys. I went way back. And what I did, I looked at guys, I looked at their first two years. I look and when I talk about first two years, this is something that uh, people didn't quite understand. 
I looked at the first two years that they played. So if you look at Aaron Rodgers, I'm not looking at Aaron Rodgers' years he sat on the bench. I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers' first two years when he played. And what constitutes playing? I looked at if a guy had over 150 pass attempts. That was just that was just what I used. It gave me a pretty good sample size. So I looked at year one and year two, and then I looked at all their their whole year, you know, their whole career. And what I found with very, very few modern exceptions is that if a player did not have a year in their first two years, I think I used 6.7. So almost that, you know, elite level I was looking at. If they didn't have at least one year of doing that in their first two years, uh, they really didn't do it multiple times in the rest of their career. They, they, they uh, Guys occasionally had an outlier year, but if you didn't show it early, you really didn't show it later on either. So that, that was, that was the study. Okay. So with that measurement, you know, looking at 6.7 to seven being the target of kind of a, you know, a rough quick, a quick and dirty sketch about after two years, is this guy, you know, is he going to find it? Right. Cause there's a, there's this considerable debate amongst all football fans, not just Bill's fans, but any fan of any team, whether they have a young quarterback or not about whether or not guys are going to quote unquote, figure it out, whether or not they're going to become close to what people talk about their ceiling or their potential being. And, you know, this research project based on this particular metric seems to suggest that you you might have a pretty good idea, you know, uh, maybe a little earlier in their career than than some people might assume. Right. And the one thing I was looking for is I was looking for like greatness. Like I'm not talking about a guy could be you know, crappy for his first two years and still turn out to be like a, a good quarterback. Like, like that, that happens. But even a guy like, like I'm going to use Matt Schaub as an example. Like even Schaub in his first two years still had, you know, a qualifying year that would show that he could be pretty decent. Now, what are some of the outliers? People always bring up Breeze is the big one. Breeze was terrible his first two years. But his third year was amazing, and he's kept up like that the whole rest of his year. Brady is another one. Brady was was kind of crappy his first two years, but then once you know once he became quote unquote Tom Brady, you know in his fourth year he was he was good to go. Favre, another one. Favre, I think if people are looking for for Josh Allen type things, they're going to look at Favre and Stafford. Neither of them qualified in their first two years. Uh, Stafford didn't play his second year, but his third year, he hit it. Favre hit it in his fourth year. McNabb, uh, he was one. And then our everyone's favorite quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, was, was <laughs> terrible. Is his first two, and then actually ended up hitting a couple real late in his career. But other than that, Especially in the modern era, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the last 10 years. If a guy did not show it early, he never got there. He might have maybe one season, but he never had multiple seasons where he was a stud. And that was what I was was looking for. Okay, so I'm assuming that you probably have 
taken the time to see where Josh Allen, having just finished his second season, how his numbers measure up into this steady. So why don't you share with us where he landed at the end of the 2019-2020 uh, season? So, you know, not to spoil the surprise, but but, but Josh didn't hit it. He, his, so like I said, seven, seven is, is, is good. It's like you can win a Super Bowl with seven. Last year f- was 4.37. Fine. He was thrown into a terrible situation. I don't think they ever wanted to play him. So, you know, terrible, fine. This past year it was 5.71. Uh, my, my threshold was 6.7. So he was still, you know, a, a, good, a good yard below it. Looking at history, you know, which is all that, you know, I can do here, he, it's not favorable company. Uh, guys that never hit it don't tend to have a huge jump after year two. I say this on Twitter a lot. Lots of people say, well, he was the Ross quarterback coming out. He, we knew he was going to be a project. You know, we're, we're willing to give him, you know, longer and longer. But, you know, your, your best case scenario, in my opinion, is that, you know, he, you know, maybe you get a Stafford. You know, maybe you get Cam. But I, I don't see him ever turning into, like, a Rodgers, a Brady, a Wilson. You know, even, you know, a guy like, you know, Phil Rivers or Romo or Cousins, like, I'm listening, you know, I'm listening like the top of the top elite guys. The stats and the history show that it is unlikely for a guy like that to all of a sudden turn it on in his third year and for the rest of his career. Okay. I, I think I would imagine that Bills fans who are hearing this right now are are kind of they're, they're they're twisting in knots a little bit and they're searching for an out. They're searching for like, uh, well, I can tell myself that he's just going to break the mold. Right. And I think that the, you know, the kinds of players that they may, I'm not, I don't think anybody's expecting him to turn into a player like just even comparable to the style of game they play players like Drew Brees or Tom Brady, but guys like Donovan McNabb and Brett Favre. Now, Brett Favre, obviously that's a huge compliment because he's, you know, incredible. He was terrific quarterback, but those are guys who I think maybe emulate a little bit of Josh's characteristics. You know, Brett Favre is a a gunslinger kind of guy. Donovan McNabb was a guy who had accuracy uh, question marks and issues that kind of dogged him a lot of his career, especially at the end in Philadelphia. Do you think that it is uh, anything other than just trying to make yourself feel better to say, well, maybe Josh Allen is going to go, you know, that route and maybe it, it doesn't happen in the first two years, but that doesn't mean he can't turn the corner. Now, you, you have already said, obviously, that it's possible for him to do it. It just isn't just isn't likely. But do you think that telling yourself or trying to put yourself in the position where you, you just feel comfortable thinking, well, he's just going to have to do what Donovan McNabb did. or He's going to have to do what uh, Brett Favre did. Do you think that that's a kind of just telling yourself what makes you feel better? Or is there any merit to trying to figure that out? If you're looking for positives, all of, 
you know, Favre and McNabb were, you know, had elite traits to them. Josh has elite traits to him. And if you were going to bet on guys making leaps, it's guys with elite traits. So I think, you know, if you take a guy, you know, oh, you know, like, like I'm just going to use Rosen as an example because what, 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 what does Rosen have that's elite? You know, nothing. So, I, I, you know, I think you can, you know, even though he's played awful and awful, like what makes you think that, you know, a guy like Josh Rosen can make a leap? Nothing. Just as anything isn't there. Josh Allen, I mean, you, he does things, like I said earlier, that other guys can't do. One of the big knocks on him was the hero ball stuff, was throwing those god-awful interceptions, you know, those passes that just should never, ever be thrown. He stopped that for the most part. One unfortunate thing, I think we saw it a little bit in the playoff game. I, I think we saw it rear its ugly head a little bit. He probably should have thrown uh, two picks in, the, in that game, but they got dropped. And, you know, we saw, you know, the lateral stuff. But for the most part, in the second half of the season, he he cut that stuff away, which was step one. Step two is that he needs to complete a few more passes. Uh, I went back, you know, in, in prep for this. I looked at the guy's you know, back in the 90s. I said, okay, like, guys completing 70% of their passes, that was never the norm. Most guys were around high 50s, low 60s. Occasionally you get a guy in the high 60s. Like, you know, Kelly was was, was around there. Like, what's the difference? Why, why were there adjusted net yards per attempt? Why did they still have, you know, great stats, yet they were only completing 58 yards per fat, 58% of their passes? They were their yards per attempt were far higher. They were they were great. You know, I'm just going to go back to to 91, just this random one. All right. So Mark Rippon, you know that the huge year when the Redskins beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. Gross. Only completed 59 percent of his passes. Josh can do that. Only compl- only threw 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. None of this sounds you know out of whack here, but he only got sacked seven times. His yards per attempt. Or was eight and a half. You know, when you combine the other things, you can have an adjusted net yards per attempt of over eight and have kind of mediocre other stats. But you have to really, 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 really get rid of the negative plays. And you have to complete a few more balls downfield, uh, which I definitely think he can do. But when, you know, when a, a deep ball, if it's got, you know, a 10% shot of getting caught, or even a pass interference, which, which is what it felt like this year, it, it's it's tough to hit those numbers. I mean, I think that in some ways, I, I'm not terribly surprised to hear this kind of be the current indicators or the current measurements that we have for Josh Allen, which is that if he's going to succeed, he's going to succeed in a way that is maybe you know the unusual way, and I. I sort of think, and and this is not exactly the same thing that you're talking about, but Josh Allen has always kind of been described as this guy who is super raw, who came from JUCO, who went to Wyoming, and then is making a jump into the NFL. You know, he just came an unusual route with not elite competition, not elite uh, help, and not elite coaching. And so with that being the case, 
he was a guy who people thought had a long development curve. And he if he was going to succeed, he was going to succeed kind of in spite of or he was going to succeed in a way that was uh, a bit unexpected or unusual, you know? And I think that your research suggests kind of, you know, more of that being the case, right? Like if he's going to do it, he's going to do it because he's he literally can do things that other human beings don't have the physical ability to do. And Okay, like I, that seems kind of consistent to me. I don't love that he didn't hit that he didn't hit seven. That would would I would prefer would have enjoyed if he had hit seven right at the end of the season. That would have been a nice thing. But I guess I, I I'm less surprised than maybe I I thought I would be whenever I kind of had an idea of how this conversation was going to go. So Nick, just just for reference sake, just so the listeners know, five guys hit eight or above this year. Uh, Tannehill, who was amazing, Mahomes, Breeze, Lamar, and Stafford. And then an additional five were, were above seven. Dak, Cousins, Russ, Carr, and, and Garoppolo. And I won't name them off, but then an additional 10 made over six. So Josh was 23rd among qualifiers for the stat this year. Woof. So yeah, that makes know, that makes me feel a little less good. So yeah, yeah <laughs> appreciate just, for the <laughs> just just for, just for reference. But the the one thing they really got to do, they got to let him run. That's he's he's I, he's so athletic. I I don't think he's the most natural runner, so to speak. You know, I just he he takes a natural runner. I don't think takes the hits that he takes. You know, but he's he's amazingly athletic. Uh, I, I think that putting him in something more limited, you know, maybe, maybe, a you know, a little bit more play action under center. I know he was very good at this year. I know that a lot of people like him in, in the spread stuff and he was, he was good at it, but I don't know if he wouldn't be helped out by more you know, under center play action stuff. I I think that is where, you know, some of the, the hard max protect play action where you would hit those, you know, deep comebacks to, to John Brown or the, the deep digs. I think that is really where he excels because he can throw the deep out like no one's business. He can throw those intermediate balls on a line. And I think that's where his, his true, you know, strengths above everyone else lie in in the run game and in the in the hard play action and that's kind of where I would would want to see a little bit more out of him next year. Okay. Well, speaking of play calling, this is a a very natural segue for us. You had made the comment uh on Twitter and I think, you know, made your your stance known whenever the the talk of people clamoring to fire Dable or Dable potentially being hired by Cleveland. You know, you had made the comment that you you wanted Dable back because specifically you thought it was good for Josh Allen. However, you also made the comment that you thought that maybe they weren't the best match. Can you explain how both of those things are true in your mind? Sure. So uh, the, the first thing about, about bringing him back, I think for a for a young quarterback, especially someone as raw as Allen, keeping him in the same system for three years 
is going to be beneficial. If you if you totally change the system, totally change the language, he's got to relearn all of that stuff, and you know he can't he can't focus you know a hundred percent of his effort on the things that you know he needs to focus on. He's got to. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs for quarterbacks. I don't know if I'm going too educational for for the podcast listeners out there, but basically what that means is that you know you have to fu- you have to fulfill your basic needs first before you can move on to higher level needs. So if you change up the offense, the basic needs are actually knowing the la- the play call language, knowing what the plays mean. So you have to master that before you can master the concepts and stuff that the, that the coordinator wants from you. Under Dable, he's got two years in his system already. So I think that baseline is established, and I think it frees him to work on more of the higher-level quarterback you know, skills that he needs to work on. Now, about Dable, why I think he might not be the best match, uh, there's a saying that goes, if you don't have any tendencies – you're not good at anything. So I, before I answer, I want to ask you, Nick, how would you describe the Bills' offense? What 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 is their what is their go to when the the you know the the game is on the line? What do they rely on? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I, I think that the only tendency I, I don't have an answer for end of game stuff. I think end of game stuff is it's it's. Shotgun spread, but there's there's not a player, there's not a concept, there's not a particular, you know, uh, there's not some right-handed work that I think that the Bills do lean on. So I, I get your point. The only thing I guess I would say that they developed as a tendency is that they did after the Cleveland game this season, they did seem to find a little bit of an offensive identity with the not exactly pure no huddle, but kind of like the 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 hurry up. The, the whole thing is kind of like just line up at the line and adjust from there. So that would be the only thing I could say. But that's not, you know, specifically if you're asking me end of game stuff, I mean, sometimes you you can't do that by design because you're you know, in a time situation and you, you just have to, you just have to go and snap the ball and move. So I get your point, but I, I don't think that there is particularly a, a, a tendency that defines Dable's offense. It's almost like he wants to do every week, something different that is going to be what he thinks to their advantage against the defense they're playing. But to your point, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, right? Exactly. And I think with a veteran quarterback, I think Dable's stuff, is probably how you want to do it, you know, for, for the most part. But with a young kid who is universal, was universally thought of it as, as raw, I think maybe, maybe you want to uh, simplify it a little bit and, you know, we're going to run our stuff, we're going to have our, our base package, which, like you said, after the Cleveland game, they went to the kind of the muddle huddle, they got lined up, got lined up before the headset cutoff happened. So I think that was helpful with, you know, probably Dable, you know, maybe helping Josh out at the line, maybe, you know, giving him, getting him into a better play call, you know, eliminating some of the mental side of the game and let Josh go out and just play, play quarterback. And it, it worked. I mean, you saw that's their, that was their high point of the year, you know, led by, you know, the, the Miami game and the Dallas game when they, just came out and, and, and crushed it. So I would prefer something more 
more structured and, and simplified where he doesn't have to do the mental stuff. Everything I've heard says he's a super hard worker, super smart kid, and everything like that. So I'm not trying to say anything like that. I'm just saying that quarterback in the NFL is probably the toughest position in all of sports. It's, it's, a, it's a mental puzzle designed by very, very smart people on the other side with elite athletes trying to hurt you. That is very, very tough. So anything that you can do to help someone coming from a lower level of competition, like everyone has said, I think is is beneficial. And that's why I think, you know, keeping the offensive coordinator is important because he has those reps already. He he can focus more on, on the higher level quarterback skills he needs to develop. Whereas if you, you know, going through his history, you know, JUCO, Wyoming, and then the big jump to the NFL, it's, it is a lot to ask from someone. Well, John, I, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up here shortly, but I do have uh, two other things I, I just wanted to hit you with real quick. First is, since we're already talking about Allen, um, I don't think that anybody, you know, feels strongly enough one way or another to really say he is the guy, he's not the guy, whatever. I guess I'll ask for a percentage of confidence. You know, Allen is going to be with us for four years for sure on the rookie contract, maybe five if we choose to go the fifth year option route as opposed to try to resign him. Would you expect that Allen is still on the Buffalo Bills or what's a percentage confidence you would give me? You know, 10 percent, 90 percent, anywhere in between and whatnot, that Allen is is still going to be a Buffalo Bill, you know, whatever his rookie deal is out, whether it's four or five years. 80 percent. That's that's pretty high. So you think that he uh, you think that this is going to work out enough that the Bills are going to try to commit to him? Yeah, I think I think they love the kid. I think he I think uh culture fit, mental fit, personality fit. I think he he is exactly what they are looking for. And I think he will be given every opportunity in barring a complete collapse. I don't think they I think they will keep him past his his rookie deal. Now, I am of the belief that you always draft quarterbacks. You never stop. Uh and the NFL cannot evaluate quarterbacks. They're not good at it. Uh, so you should always be taking shots in the NFL draft lottery at picking quarterbacks because you can never have too many of them. It is too valuable of a position. So just because I think 80% he's going to be with the team, I think they should draft a quarterback every year. I think, you know, fifth rounder. You know, just in, plus, Nick, to be honest, competition helps. You know, you can say all you want, you know, he's the hardest worker and stuff like that, but the constant flow of new blood, it, it makes anyone work that much harder. You Do you think that if the Bills, say this year, fifth rounder, if the Bills in the 2020 draft picked a quarterback in the fifth round, that would be uh, a net positive for the organization compared to picking any other position you know, uh, within reason, right? I mean, if we miss out on a on a stud, of course, that would have been better. But in general, decision making, you know, best practices—that's something that you would think would be a net positive for the organization to add a quarterback in the draft this year. Hundred percent. Let me let me just real quick say why I think so. So let's say you have a one percent chance of getting an elite quarterback at in the fifth round. 
you know, I think that's probably fine, you know, reasonable assumption. What are your chances of getting an elite other position player? Five, six percent. So, I mean, I, I, you're not really losing much, I don't think, half, you know, in the late rounds of, of getting guys. Most likely that guy will probably be, you know, a backup. You might get a stud like Milano. Very well could happen. But I guarantee if you go through the, the, the Bills picks of fifth rounders, you know, fourth rounders, whatever, very few are impact guys. And because the only reason I say this is because the quarterback position is so valuable, is by far more valuable than a linebacker or a guard or a wide receiver, safety, whatever. If you hit on one, you, you are good. And so I think just the, the massive, massive upside on that means that you should continually invest in the position. All right. Let me ask you this then. So aside from that, because you could actually answer this question with, with saying that you want that to happen, but draft, free agency, trade, any other you know roster acquisition that the Bills could possibly pursue this offseason. If John Ramsey had his choice, if there was one thing that you would want to see the Bills do other than pick a quarterback in the draft somewhere, um, what is something else that you think you would like to see the Buffalo Bills do to position themselves for the greatest opportunity for success in the 2020 season? Trade down. More picks. More, more picks. It's, it, is, it is such a lottery. And this draft is very deep at some of the positions that they need, especially wide receiver. So, you know, you, I, I, they're, they're, they're not in the top five. You know, they're, they're, they're not guaranteed a, a, a stud. They're not guaranteed Judy or Lamb or whoever your, your pick of choice is. You know, the, the speedster from Alabama probably won't even in, be there either when the Bills pick. So if, if you have a big you know, glut of guys that you think are going to be pretty good, you could draft one of them in the early 20s, or you could probably get two of them, or you get a receiver and a defensive end. You know, that it just it strikes me that this pick most likely will not make an immediate impact this year. It, it could. I mean, it, it very well could, but I'm just saying you probably have just as good a chance picking two guys in the second than you would picking one at the first and getting a guy that's going to make an immediate impact just because they're picking so late. Yeah. And I mean, the bills already have nine picks going into the draft, which is that's, that's a haul. I mean, that's a lot of guys to bring into rookie mini camp and then to camp and all of that stuff. Would you, would you want the bills to trade down for assets this year? Or would you, because of the, the number of picks that we already have, would you advocate trade down, but, start gathering assets, start stocking the cupboard for future drafts as well. I mean, it's, I'd prefer this draft because I think that their, their window is, is the next couple of years, you know, with Allen still in his rookie deal, the defense still together, the, the big extensions haven't kicked in yet or, or you know, that they're going to obviously sign guys to. So I, I really think this year, next year and the year after are really their, it, this is this is where we need to see something, uh, unless unless you know they they hit on a couple more rookies, easily you know possible, but with with the cap and the extensions they're going to need to sign guys on. They're going to need to either win this right now or hit on more rookies. And how do you hit on more rookies with more with more picks? 
Awesome. John, uh, is there any other parting words or anything else that you want to say before we uh, before we sign off? Obviously, I want to I want to thank you and, and give you a proper send off, but I'll I'll give you the floor before we do that. No, I'm I'm good. Uh, thanks, obviously, to the guys over at Buffalo Rumblings. They they were my start. They were the first place I I ever wrote anything for. So really appreciate them, and you know we'll always do anything for them. Uh, Brian was the guy that gave me my start. Matt is is always wonderful. So, you know, and thanks to you, Nick, uh, Bruce. I I hope I did you justice with my <laughs> my, my pinch hitting. Probably not, but you know, I, I appreciate you guys ha- having me on uh, on the podcast. Well, thanks so much, John. It's been a, a great joy to get to know you a little bit and to pick your brain on some of this stuff. I, I appreciate your perspectives very much, and obviously, I'm a I'm a big fan of what you provide to all of Bill's Mafia on Twitter with your your data and your perspectives and your explanations for things. So thanks for giving us the time this evening. And uh, for everybody else, I just want to let you know one other thing before we go, and that is don't ever forget this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.